Revelation 13. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea, with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for forty-two months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes, if anyone is to be slain with the sword. With the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence, and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people, and by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast, so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Revelation 14. Then I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion stood the Lamb, and with him 144,000 who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb, and in their mouth no lie was found, for they are blameless. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, because the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Another angel, a second, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great, she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. 
and I heard a voice from heaven saying, Write this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and seated on the cloud one like a son of man, with a golden crown on his head, and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Put in your sickle, and reap, for the hour to reap has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple in heaven, and he too had a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire, and he called with a loud voice to the one who had the sharp sickle, Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth, for its grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grape harvest of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city, and blood flowed from the winepress, as high as a horse's bridle, for 1,600 stadia. Dash, 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 dash. It is important to remember how this book begins and ends. John is very clear in articulating that the things spoken of in this book are to take place soon. The mistake of reading the book of Revelation and wanting to interpret its imagery with modern-day situations and people is unfortunately a very common error. The second most common error is that of forgetting the nature of apocalyptic literature. The heavy use of symbolism makes for cautious work and it is foolish to look for literal interpretation with this vision. As chapter 12 ends, we see a vision explaining how the incarnation, death, resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ brings about the defeat of Satan and his subsequent drive to persecute those who had embraced Jesus Christ as the Messiah. It is this persecution that is discussed next. As chapter 13 begins, John is shown a beast rising up out of the sea. Remember that the sea and land imagery points us towards the land as being representative of the people of God and the sea is representing those who are not the people of God. This beast is described in bestial terms, as one would expect. Wild, undomesticated animals are used to illustrate the nature of the beast. Most likely this beast is the Roman Empire and its persecution of the Christian faith. Christianity was seen as a perverse and anti-Roman deviation. Those who followed Jesus Christ as king were seen as being anti-Roman and actually dangerous. To be unfaithful to the traditional gods of Rome was seen as an attack on the well-being of the empire and deserving of punishment. This beast was given power and authority to wage war against those who were faithful to Jesus Christ. John speaks something that looks like a common saying, he says, If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. These words would have been seen as troubling and not encouraging, for they guaranteed that suffering and death would be coming. But John follows up with a curious statement, he says, Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This comment should be understood in light of the change that has taken place with the start of the new covenant. No longer is faithfulness to God rewarded with temporal and physical blessings. That sort of thinking is part of the old covenant. Riches and long life are not part of the blessings of God. These should be seen instead as responsibilities for those imposed with such a weight. If you have a long life, faithfulness will be expected in the use of that time. And if one is given great wealth, the right use of that wealth will be expected. The temptation in both of these is laziness and selfishness. John instead calls on the faithful to be encouraged that even if they suffer and die in this time of oppression, they have not lost anything. They instead have gained immediate access to the perfect, loving presence of God. John then sees a second beast rise up and exercise much of the same behavior as the first beast. He performs amazing feats and is skilled in deception. This second beast is not a replacement of the first but a new beast that points back to the first and demands obedience and worship of it. 
John points out that all men are to receive a mark upon their foreheads or their hands in order to function on a daily basis under the authority of the beast. This section is often mistakenly interpreted literally, as if some sort of mark is actually placed upon each person. When one works through the Old Testament, the idea of thinking and acting are closely associated with the forehead and the hand. This passage is about the thoughts and behavior of those who submit to the beast. Obedience to the beast would have been manifested as thinking like it and acting like it. This chapter ends with the ever-so-famous mark of the beast. Numerology has been greatly used for many millennia across many nations and John appeals to this common way of identifying by showing that this beast has a number. The common use of numbers to identify is used here to explain who this beast was. To keep it relatively simple, the number 6 is just short of completeness or perfection. The number 7, all throughout the Bible, is shown as the number that represents completion and rest. Using numerology, the three Greek letters that represent 666 are the numerical value of the name Nero Caesar in the Hebrew language. But the idea of 666 is not limited to Nero but to the Roman Empire in general. This empire represents the very best that man had to offer. The biggest, most powerful nation that had ever reigned in the known world but was still incomplete, for it rejected the Messiah. Extensive work has been done by others that show the huge significance of the number 6 and I do not have the space to explain in great detail what others have said. Chapter 14 begins with more numerology as John references the 144,000 that are standing with the Lamb, worshipping Him and who have the name of the Father and the name of the Lamb written on their foreheads. Again, this reference to writing on the foreheads is referring to those who have embraced Jesus as the Messiah and have changed their thinking to be like Jesus, as Paul says in Romans 12 too. Do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. These 144,000 do not represent a literal 144,000 but represent all of those who were faithful to God during the Old Covenant, under the twelve tribes of Israel and all of those who were faithful to Jesus Christ during the New Covenant, the twelve apostles. So 12 times 12 is 144 and then multiplied by 1,000 to represent completeness. John's vision changes again and he sees a sequence of three angels, each proclaiming a message. The first angel, also translated as messenger, is calling out to all those on the earth to worship God, the Creator of all things. This is the work of the Apostles and the early Church in their missionary work around the known world. The second messenger is proclaiming the destruction of Babylon. Again, we do not want to make the mistake of interpreting Babylon as a specific city or nation. When we remember the historical and grammatical context of this proclamation, we know that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead and ascended to the Father's right hand. Jesus Christ is not King of all and has taken away the power of death. Those who embrace Him as Messiah come to know eternal life and holiness and those who reject Him face an eternity of suffering, not from punishment but from failing to prepare their souls for holiness. This proclamation is the book of Revelation itself and the warning it gives of the coming consummation of the Old Covenant. The third angel proclaims a warning about the beast. This passage requires very careful work. As the Old Covenant is coming to a close with the final step of judgment from the hand of God, we see the destruction in the shape of death for those who rejected the Messiah. Just like those who refused to enter Noah's Ark died a watery death, so too those who rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah face a fiery death. It is important not to get distracted by the imagery used in the vision. The movement from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant is one of movement from death to life. Jesus Christ procured eternal life for all men. Those who embrace Him as Messiah and strive for holiness will find a glorious eternity in the holy presence of God. But those who reject Jesus as the Messiah will find an eternity in the holy presence of God, torment. And what better image to use for torment than fire? John next uses the same phrase as he did in chapter 13, he says, 
here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. John is saying that when we have faith in Christ and we are striving after holiness, we can be assured that a beautiful eternity in the presence of God is ours. John is then commanded to write all of this down. That message is one of promise. Those who die in the Lord can look forward to blessing and rest from their labors. John then receives one more vision in this chapter. He sees a vision of two angels with scythes, given permission to gather the harvest. This imagery should remind us of Jesus' words in Matthew 9 about the fields being ready for harvest. Now that Jesus' work is complete, the time to harvest the earth has come. Prior to the resurrection and ascension, death had power over men. But with Jesus' ascension, all of that changed. Man is no longer enslaved to death, he is instead in a position of power and authority, sitting with Jesus at the right hand of God and now able to do the work that was originally given to Adam, that is, taking dominion over the earth. This is the image we are seeing here. Now with Jesus on the throne and the power of death taken away, man has the authority and the responsibility to take dominion over the earth and bring it all into a loving relationship with the triune God. The closing image shows just how successful man can expect that work of dominion to be. The fruit of the harvest is pressed and is approximately five to six feet deep. Imagine that much liquid covering an entire valley. That is a massive amount of wine, 1,600 stadia, which equates to 182 miles wide. The movement then from the Old Covenant into the New Covenant is about God's judgment falling upon man one last time, closing out the Old Covenant and bringing all creation into the New Covenant. And that work is a perfect and comprehensive one.